Now we can get started, Tim, with uh, episode 17 of Utah in the Weeds. I think we owe an apology for not having an episode last week, though, Tim. I agree. I, uh, I'm i sorry. No, wait. It's, it's just all my fault. I just take all, I'll take all the blame. <sighs> no, it's not your fault, Tim. Well, I mean, you've been busy, too, because it's funny because, well, it was actually your kid's birthday, I think, is, is what happened. Yeah, that's what happened. It was my, it was my kid's birthday. We had a family... Uh, we had a family event as well, so we were busy and we just did not get anybody uh, scheduled on, and so we skipped it. Do you usually do this every Wednesday? The the podcast, yeah. we usually yeah, record, uh, well, we try. Yeah, okay. we've been pretty good lately um, for the past, I think, 10, 10 weeks. We've been every week, and then Chris uh, tightens everything up on... Uh, on the next day or so, and then releases uh-huh. them usually on Friday morning. Oh, okay. Well, let's introduce Corey. I, I'll, you you know her a lot better than I do, Tim, so I don't know if you want to even introduce her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is Corey Anden. She's, uh, she's actually one of the other people that I trust in this space, uh, in the cannabis space in Utah. She is uh, a pain physician in Ogden, South Ogden, I think has been practicing for quite a while, has been practicing cannabis medicine in Utah probably longer than any other provider in Utah. Because of her certification, she's seen quite a few patients. And I'm just, I'm happy to have you on, uh, Dr. Andon. Corey, it's, uh, it's good to have you. Thank you. So, what got you interested in working with cannabis? I mean, how far back does that go? I think I've always been interested in cannabis. I'm a child of the 60s and 70s, so I grew up with cannabis culture in southwestern Pennsylvania. So I had myself used cannabis when I was younger. And of course, back then, we didn't really know much about what the chemicals were in the cannabis, how it worked. Not that I would have been interested, I suppose, as a teenager. Anyways, so it's very fascinating how much more we know now uh, about the plants and how it can be used medically rather than recreationally, right? As a, as a child or a teenager, we're using things recreationally, like alcohol, cannabis. That was about it when I was, when I was a teenager and in my 20s. So then as... Other states have started to uh, legalize, I guess we would say, cannabis for medicals. The states seem to start with medical cannabis and then recreational or what we now call adult use cannabis. I became more interested and fascinated with the use of it medically. There's more information online and in books and conferences So I just started investigating on my own to educate myself, and I find the topic to be quite fascinating. So uh, to address the need, as it arose in November of 2018, when the legislature approved House Bill 3001, uh, there seemed to be no one taking up the, I guess, the, the force of allowing people to use it legally, giving people letters, uh, but more so evaluating patients and educating them about the medicinal use of cannabis. So it's been a learning process for me and 
with my patients along the way. I really approach it from a medical perspective. I've seen quite a few people who, uh, I would say most people have been using cannabis, smoking cannabis. And so it's been interesting to re-educate people on other ways of using cannabis for better medicinal benefits, as well as to be compliant with the Utah laws. When you talk about smoking cannabis, I mean, you, I think you and I have touched on this before. What's your feeling about the smoking? That's what most people do in our country and other countries around the world. That's, that's pretty much the basic method is smoking because you have the raw plant or the dry flower and anyone can make a inhalation device, a small pipe out of just about anything. So it's easy to use. In my opinion, it does seem to have benefits. I would say that it seems to be more recreational than medicinal in the sense that smoking using a flame is a very high temperature, thousand to 2000 degrees. And we know now about the chemicals in the plant and their activation or boiling points are at much lower temperatures, more in the 300 to 450 degree Fahrenheit range. And therefore, my opinion would be that with smoking, we are burning up quite a bit of the good chemicals, certain cannabinoids and most of the terpenes by smoking at a high temperature. So the alternative still with inhalation, but using a dryer vaporizer, I think, and science would say that that better accesses the medicinal properties of the cannabinoids and terpenes, lowering the temperature at the 300 to 450 degree range. So I don't particularly mind if people prefer smoking, but insofar as that is not legal in Utah, I certainly counsel people and advise them as to the potential reasons why they would choose to not smoke and rather use a vaporizer, meaning number one, that's what's legal. Number two, you get more access of the cannabinoids and terpenes by using a lower temperature of the vaporizer. And number three, you also avoid the uh, toxins, potential carcinogens in smoke, ash, et cetera, via smoking and that particular matter getting into your lungs. There's a lot of good information there. Now, on, a, on an office basis convenience standpoint, I feel like I have to spend quite a bit of valuable time explaining why people shouldn't smoke and explaining the laws. And I, I feel like Utah did a little bit of overreach by saying we can't smoke. I agree that there are other ways to do it, but it's really kind of difficult to try to convince everybody to stop smoking and that they're illegal if they're smoking and they've been smoking for 20, 30, 50 years. So it, it's a very difficult uh, sell, I would say. So it just creates a lot of work for me and my patients to say that smoking cannabis is illegal. Now, was that a big thing in Utah? The reason it did pass, though, is the fact that they did get rid of the smoking aspect, though. Was that kind of a big, like, just only allowing edibles and vape and, like, tincture? I wonder if that helped pass it. 
easier? Uh, well, I don't think that was part of Prop 2. Prop 2 passed. Prop 2 was fairly liberal. We were allowed, or the, you know, the populace was allowed to grow plants. Then the legislature morphed it into House Bill 3001, where they, they changed things. So I don't know where that came from. In researching in other states, there are there are other states that have some more restrictions like we have with no smoking or even no flour. Um, I think some of the southern states, per se, have some, you know, higher restrictions. But I can't tell you why the legislature decided to do that. I have yet to find out if how much the Utah Medical Association uh, has put input into the decisions of House Bill 3001. I have um, called and left messages at Utah Medical Association, and no one has decided to call me back yet. Well, maybe they'll get your message. Maybe somebody from the Utah Medical Association listens to our podcast. I don't know. I'll be uh, interested to hear. If you get a call back, I'll be interested to hear. Well, to hear I, 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 I don't call- know. I called last week. No one's called me back. I'm I'm giving them a little tincture of time, uh, but if no one calls me, I'm gonna I'm gonna call again. It's on my on my list. I don't want to be bugging people per se, but I think this is important to me, all of us as clinicians as well as our patients, to clarify how we are proceeding forward with this. What are the other priorities uh, that you have for? like changing things. What do you think about the law right now that's kind of broken? Do you think, I mean, do you put smoking at the top of the priority list or are there other things? I know numbers is a, is a big deal for me. My biggest problem right now with the legislation as it is, is the patient cap for those of us who are pursuing further education, becoming experts in the area of medical cannabis. The patient cap of 600 patients per physician and 275 patients per PA or nurse practitioner really limits what we can do. It's also a disservice to the patients who want to see clinicians who are experts. So if people want to see me because I have added expertise and I can help them manage their medical conditions from a variety of perspectives, not just with medical cannabis, but traditional medicine paired with integrative medicine and the cannabis medicine as a consultant who is knowledgeable in a wide variety of areas. It prohibits them from seeing me if their goal is to see me for consultation and also be able to obtain a card. People can certainly come and see and have a consultation but they're economically speaking, they're reluctant to do that if I can't give them the magic card. So then they need to go somewhere else to get the card. But I think honestly, if Utah really wants to do medical cannabis well, then they should support the concept that there are people who med- who are medical cannabis experts who can do a better job perhaps than someone who's just dabbling in medical cannabis. And to that end, I am enrolled and starting a master's in master's program in medical cannabis therapeutics through the University of Maryland. 
uh, College of Pharmacy. I start that next month. That's a two-year program. So I'm doing all I can to become an expert in this area to benefit my patients as well as expand what we know about cannabis in general. I think you bring up a really interesting point. So here's somebody, and and Chris, I think you would agree with me. Here's somebody who has seen her 600 patients. So you've already maxed out, right? I know that because I see some of the uh, I see some of the referrals um, down in my in Salt Lake City. So you've already maxed out. There's no real economic benefit from that standpoint of you moving on in your education in cannabis education, becoming more of an expert, right? The state has said, well, you know, here's your 600. You've done your job. Okay, now uh, we're going to just have to move on. And like you say, you just, we need to have access to more patients. I get the same thing. And I, uh, so I know exactly the the trouble. Have you, right? reached, your, have you reached your maximum? Yeah. Your cap? Yep. So at times I'll go in and have to consult, but somebody else has to see the patient. And I think it's a disservice to the patient because they can't, right? They can't schedule an appointment with me. They can't really, they don't want to schedule an appointment and pay the fee because we can't give them the card, right? They've got to go somewhere else to get the card. Correct. It's an economic burden for the patient. So I'm I'm not necessarily in this for economic benefit. I have a lot of skills as an interventional pain physician. I'm board certified in four specialties, physical medicine and rehabilitation, pain medicine, sports medicine, and electrodiagnostic medicine. I have a lot of things I can do that uh, keep me busy and frankly reimburse more than doing a cannabis consultation. That's not why I'm doing cannabis medicine. I'm not here to make money from giving people medical cannabis cards, right? I'm doing it because I'm passionate about the concept of a more organic approach to medicine than the conventional give everybody pharmaceuticals and do more and more surgeries because those have lots of side effects, lots of comorbidities, and it doesn't necessarily work. People get infections from surgeries. They're more debilitated. I've been around for 32 years practicing medicine, and I don't think that direction is really helping people to heal. It's not focusing on health and wellness. So I think combining those ideas with a more organic approach, with wellness, so cannabis medicine, healthy diet, healthy lifestyles, healthy exercise, is really more what the type of medicine that I want to practice. Have you always practiced that type of medicine, though? Have you always kind of taken a more natural direction? Well, I I think if a, a box is, you know, a certain size, I tend to think outside the box and try to pull from different areas. Um, I have training in the traditional conventional medicine. I do spinal injections and refer to surgeons um, I prescribe pharmaceuticals, including, you know, some degree of opioids, but I tailor that with consulting with my patients and advising them on the importance of losing weight, changing their diet, 
do this exercise, showing them exercises, asking them about their lifestyle. What is it that they're doing that we can change to help them to feel better? So I suppose I've always taken that approach. I tend to spend, I would say, more time with talking with patients and getting to know them than say the average physician that goes in and you're allowed to talk about one complaint. And when you say what your one complaint is, then they just give you a prescription for a medicine and then another medicine. So I would say I've always thought about more organically. I've taken courses and I have expertise in regenerative medicine. I've taken courses in acupuncture. So I practice yoga. I'd like to be a certified yoga instructor, but not. it's not as though I'm going to go out and teach yoga. So that's kind of down on the list. So I, I just like knowledge for knowledge sake and then helping that information to be able to help patients. Do you think that if you had an unlimited amount of, of cards to give, that you would integrate more cannabis medicine into your general practice? Do you think that that's actually limited your like willingness to integrate cannabis medicine into your normal practice? I'm not unwilling to integrate cannabis into my regular practice. I bring it up often. People come, they're referred for a nerve conduction test. And in the conversation, they have carpal tunnel syndrome, but they also have diabetes, or they have rheumatoid arthritis, or they have, you know, autoimmune disorders, I at least bring up, have you tried CBD? So then I, then I briefly talk about, you could add CBD because of the anti-inflammatory, anti-anxiety, muscle relaxant, immunoprotective, neuroprotective effects, it could help your disease process. And this is just free information, because that's not even what they're here for. But just in talking with people, I kind of throw that out there. So I often will ask them about just using CBD, which is over the counter and a very good, very good, I suppose, medicine in its own right. Um, And then, you know, if people ask me about cannabis, I can give them some information, but I explain the situation. They can have a consultation. I can give them education, tailor particular medication recommendations to their diseases, their disorders, but I can't give them a card. So, you know, leave it at that. So um, I wouldn't mind doing more of just the medical cannabis, getting away from so many steroid injections and dangerous pharmaceuticals. I certainly wouldn't mind that, but the patient cap does limit me in that aspect. It's not going to keep me from getting the master's degree. I want the master's degree. I mean, I, I want that, right? I, I could I could quit doing this. I could get an industry job, I suppose, but I don't really want to. I'm good at being a physician and helping people. So we'll see what happens if the legislature decides to change that. I, I think that you and I can actually help them do that, right? As uh this uh, QMP working group with the Utah Cannabis Association, and we can try to push their priorities. I know the industry is supportive of some experts, so hopefully that makes a difference. I don't know how much the uh, how much a legislative push people like you and I have in the, the whole scheme of things, but I think the industry with the money that backs this industry probably has more influence than we do. I, just speaking I, realistically. 
I would hope that the industry would have an interest in their having actual experts and specialists that they they could refer to. As far as the industry, though, making money, as long as there are any number of QMPs who are authoring pe- authorizing people to have cards, so they have customers coming into their business. I don't know from a bottom line economic perspective, they care where they came from. But if there are not enough QMPs and for the number of people who want to get cards, then that might be an issue for them. But so I I would hope that they would want there to be experts from the standpoint that it's better patient care to have people who have more expertise and more guidance. Sure. And I have reached out to legislators. I have contacted by phone and sent emails to a number of legislators, including uh, Evan Vickers, who was one of the authors of the bill and had patients reach out. And initially he was receptive and then he basically said to stop bothering him. He contacted the Utah Department of Health and the Utah Medical Association, who then contacted me to tell my patients to stop contacting him. So I'm, I'm a little bit uh, disappointed in how our legislators work. I thought they worked for us and were receptive to our needs and uh, are here to serve us, not say, don't call me. Yeah, remember, wow. remember we're in Utah here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And and now I've understand. I understand that we may need to uh, contact uh, Doctor Ward, uh, who uh, will be in the House. He'll be the House representative for cannabis, um, which I think is a change because Representative Daw I think didn't didn't win re-election. Okay. So is that good or bad? Is he is he pro uh, cannabis then or no? So he's in Bountiful. He's in my, um, he's actually my district um, here in Bountiful and he's a physician. Okay. And so I think he's, I I think it's yet to be seen, but, um, but he'll come with a different perspective because he has a practice. Um, He practices medicine. So I think he'll see, he should see some value and be maybe more receptive to this type of expertise uh, discussion than the others were. Is that something that we can do? Set up a meeting with him? Yes. And I think that using, yeah, using our, um, you know, our our Utah Cannabis Association and trying to come up with best practice guidelines might be a good way uh, to get him involved. We'll, uh, we'll invite him on the podcast next. Okay. Once we, once we have a meeting. I love that. Yeah. How much is Dr. Babbitt's who's the medical director for the Department of Health involved? I don't know much about Dr. Babbitt's. I think that's more of a regulatory position. Not so much uh, from when I've talked to Rich Oborn, his position is, you know, creating the rules and enforcing the rules, making sure those rules are clear and get followed, not so much uh, guiding the rule making, right. so to speak. So, and you're saying Dr. Ward would be more uh, able to do that because he's going to be a legislator. Yes. So as we move forward into the fall and into the session, he and Senator Vickers, I think will take the lead on, on making this 
sort of legislative change. And there, you know, and there's a few priorities, I think, with the Cannabis Association, and that is apparently one of them. Okay. And I, I did reach out to some legislators on the advice of a former legislator to the um, senators and legislators on the um, Health and Human Services Committee. And I was uh, contacted back by one of them who said that they would bring up the issue to their committee meeting. And I guess we'll see what happens. I, I would be happy to attend a meeting in which legislators could be further educated as to what we're seeing working in the trenches, so to speak, what uh, patients are interested in and how we can help patients and how we can make the medical cannabis program better. I would hope that, again, that that would be something they were interested in. Um, In not hearing back much, I I guess I'll just assume they're overwhelmed with the uh, COVID pandemic issues. And maybe that's why we're not hearing a lot on this, but I don't know. How has COVID affected your practice? Not too much, really. When we had the initial shutdown, uh, we were out of the office for two weeks. Then I did telehealth for two weeks. Then we've been back in the office. Uh, is the process changed dramatically or just some? Oh, uh, we wear masks. <laughs> Got it. My, not- office, my office is in a uh, hospital. My office is located in Northern Utah Rehabilitation Hospital. So I have an office clinic in here. Um, so it's very professional. And they have their own rules for when people walk in the door. So there's checking people's temperature. And, um, you know, asking the, the questions, you know, have you had this and that symptom or, or such? So people are screened and then we're wearing masks. I have another question about um, more specific to cannabis. When you like talk about pain and cannabis, like what's your discussion with a patient about pain and cannabis and how cannabis works for pain? Because you have such a good education and such a good foundation of pain management from an uh, from a essentially like an opioid or a prescription medication or injection, what's the what do you talk about with patients with pain? How is cannabis different, or how is it going to help them? So it depends on the perspective of what what the patient's coming from. So some people are coming; their qualifying medical condition is pain, chronic pain. So Some people have uh, already been using cannabis and some people are new to it. So some people are young and they have kind of musculoskeletal ailments and haven't had major surgeries um, or other people have had multiple back surgeries, neck surgeries, joint surgeries. They've been on opioids and combined with other pharmaceuticals for years and they're either still on them or they wean themselves off of them. So it depends on their starting point. But I explained that the cannabis plant has numerous chemicals, over 400 chemicals. We have more than 140 cannabinoids and 200 terpenes, and all of those chemicals working together creates uh, a medicinal effect. So I explained that the major cannabinoids that we know the most about 
have the THC and CBD, you have potent anti-inflammatory, analgesic, muscle relaxant effects, plus the potential psychoactive effects, CBD being calming, THC being uh, some psychoactive, but spiritual. It can help sort out the pain versus the suffering, uh, can help with associated anxiety, depression, sleep disorders, and that sort of thing. So I basically explain about the, the plants from an organic perspective, and then I explain how the chemicals match similar chemicals that we already have in our body, in our own endocannabinoid system. So talking a little bit about we have different receptors for different chemicals in our body, whether that's enzymes or opioids or or endocannabinoids. So I explain that that's how it works in our body because of where the receptors are, that it helps the processing of pain signals, as well as our conscious and unconscious emotional response to pain stimuli. And then depending on what their condition is and what medications they're already taking, then I discuss how they can bring cannabis into that. If they're on opioids, I explain how cannabis can actually help them to decrease opioid dosing for a number of reasons because uh, cannabis helps the opioid receptors to be more receptive so they can get by with lower doses. It can substitute for opioids and it also um, decreases craving and withdrawal. So it's easier to taper down or discontinue opioids. I didn't know all that. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a good, I think the listeners will really appreciate that coming from somebody who's so specialized in pain. And I, you know, I mean, there's you you talk about that emotional connection or that sorting out of what's pain and what's suffering. That's a really good point that I don't think regular prescription medications or procedures do so well as cannabis with the psychoactivity. Right. So for me, um, the reality is, is we all have pain. If from a religious philosophical perspective, most religions acknowledge that life is suffering. So we're generally going to have more suffering than more happiness, right? So it's really that we care too much about our pain or our suffering. Really, if pain, the definition of pain is it is a unpleasant sensation with physical and emotional components. So the easiest thing for pain is if your pain that you have doesn't bother you, right? You can have pain. We've evaluated it. You know, your appendix isn't rupturing. You're not having a heart attack. So you have chronic shoulder pain or whatever it is. So if you can live with it, that is the most organic, the most basic, the most convenient, right? So if using a little bit of cannabis helps you to just live with your pain, then voila, you're done. Right? You don't need to take pharmaceuticals. You don't need to have surgery. It's just living with our bodies as they are and accepting what we have. And I feel that that's how cannabis can help pain in in one way. That's a good, um, everybody should just write that down. <laughs> is, there a, is there a condition that you see a lot of people coming in for and you're like, well, that's not a qualifying condition, but you wish it was? I don't know. Does that question make sense? Yes, it totally does. So I would say, well, we know statistically 
that most people who use cannabis in a, across the United States and other places. So approximately 80% of people are using it because of pain, but they also have other issues that go along with that. So anxiety, mood disorder, sleep disorder, insomnia. So in listening to qualifying conditions for other states, some states do have those on the list, anxiety, depression, um, sleep disorder, or they'll have something on the list as, or any other condition that your physician thinks might benefit by the use of cannabis, right? So I wish that they would have qualifying conditions as anxiety, insomnia, mood disorders. Um, there's some little caveats as far as depression goes. There's there's better ways to use cannabis than not as far as depression goes. But in general, cannabis in general is pretty good for anxiety. And of course, most people use cannabis at night in some fashion to sleep if they're using cannabis. The depression part, it sounded like you're not, you don't think cannabis is good for depression or? No, or I, no, I no it, is, it is. It is. It is good for depression, but in certain types of uh, depression with just CBD alone, CBD alone might exacerbate depression. So it's important to use CBD with some THC, at least based on my gotcha. my understanding and research and knowledge from other cannabis experts. So I, I learn something new every day. I'm reading something, I'm researching, I'm looking things. Um, listening to you know podcasts or audio books, educational books. So I learn some little caveats every day, and so my kind of um, you know ball of information that I put together and and keep different points, little tidbits. Um, I try to incorporate that knowledge as I counsel patients. So I just don't give people a letter or a card and say good luck. You know, go talk to the pharmacist. I mean, the pharmacists are very good. They're very knowledgeable, but they're, you know, they have a lot of patients that they need to talk to as well. But I'm the one as a physician, I know what their medical conditions are, all of their diagnoses, their surgeries, the things that they've had. So my, my brain is working to come up with a treatment plan for how to incorporate cannabis properly for medicinal benefits. This, isn't that what we're all about? Medical cannabis. Right. Yeah. Do you do the recommendations or do you have the patients um, see the pharmacist? How do you navigate that piece? Um, I give people specific recommendations. I, at this point, what I can do is I can see what's on the menu, you know, at the particular pharmacy that they're going to go to, you know, frankly, we're pretty limited, right? If, if I were practicing in Oregon or California, I would have quite a bit more choices as far as different types of flour or CBD dominant products or uh, products that have different combinations, say CBD with CBDA or THCA. Um, so some of the other minor cannabinoids um, in particular um, products that would be useful specifically for this condition or that condition. So, you know, basically the pharmacies have a certain number of choices of flour a certain number of choices of tinctures. Um, only the one in Salt Lake has edibles. So, you know, I, I counsel them as far as what they could get at a local pharmacy, but also potentially if they went 
somewhere else out of state, that there might be more selection. They could look at other specific products. So I, I do get fairly specific, but acknowledging that every patient has a different response. So I say, this is what I recommend that you start with and do this particular product or medication at this dose for a certain period of time and then gradually increase it. And um, people have my office phone number. Many have my cell phone number. They can call me anytime and ask me if they're having questions about what they're doing, how it's working or what the dosing. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, no, it's cool that you're you're willing to kind of help people along the way. I hear a lot of stories of these these uh, doctors out there that you know they give a card and it's like then they're hard to get a hold of. It's like, well, okay, some some of these people need a little guidance. Well, that doesn't sound like good medical care. No, 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 no. not by any means. But it happens, <laughs> unfortunately, it happens. Well, that that sounds like more of an economic model. You know, and and I'm doing more of a uh, medical model. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any other any other questions for uh, for Corey, Tim, or or um, what else you got there? Well, I mean, I could ask her questions all day, but uh, <laughs> but I think the pain, um, and, you know, and of course we we kind of work we work in the same uh, silo, so to speak. So so we have a lot to discuss, but I think the. The thing that was most important to me today was talking about pain, uh, really getting so, some more exposure for Corey, because um, I don't think a lot of people know you're out there, uh, frankly, because you were full on day one. And no, so, not, not, quite, not quite day one. I, I'm still seeing people for consultations. I've seen, I've, I've definitely seen more than my 600 for people for consultations to advise as far as, you know, how to use cannabis, different products for different conditions, different methods of, of using it to treat their conditions. And then, you know, tweaking that as they get started, especially people who are new and haven't used it. You know, I spend quite a bit of time reassuring and explaining and talking about different things, but that's what I like to do. I like talking to people. I like, understanding where they're coming from and trying to get them to a better place with their health. So why would somebody come to you for a consult if they can't get a card? Uh, Because they want to know how to use medical cannabis better. So if somebody just wants to keep on smoking their weed, you know, whatever, and they just want to get a card so they're legal, so they can just, you know, go buy flour and smoke. Okay, fine. But I see a lot of people who that's what they're doing and they're, you know, they're not really getting better. (laughs) So that's fine. You know, that's they just want the card. But there are people who truly want to be healthier or more well. You know, they have MS, they have Parkinson's disease, they have pain disorders. They've been down that line. They've tried everything. They need some guidance. They have gastrointestinal disorders children with autism, people with seizures. No, they don't just want a card so they can go out and buy buy cannabis. They don't even know how to use it. But wouldn't they want to get legal though? That's the point I'm trying to make. Why wouldn't they go to somebody who they could get a card from? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to understand. Yeah, yeah, I totally get it. they, They can certainly do that just to get a card and be legal. 
that's up to the person. You know, there's plenty of people out there giving people cards. So if they're comfortable getting the card and they're going to go experiment on their own and discuss with the pharmacist, that's perfectly fine, you know, to do that. I guess it's, you know, do you, are you, when you go to buy a car, I guess you can just go on CarMax and pick a car or you can go and you can talk to dealers and, and mechanics and this and that, and you can get more education so that you make a more uh, educated selection in the vehicle that you want to buy. So people can go and they can just keep buying their 28% THC flower, which you know, people do that because they think that's what the best is. The reality is, is that the flower that of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s was 3.5% THC, not 28% THC. So yeah. if you have 28% THC, that means you got a lot less of all of the other cannabinoids that there used to be when the THC was 3.5%. So having been there, I can say, in my honest opinion the cannabis that was 3.5 percent thc was better than the cannabis that's 28 percent thc so people don't know that but they don't know what they don't know and if they want to go and get a card and they want to go and buy 28 percent thc and hope that that helps them that's just it's that's their right that's their civil right so that's not, that's not what i'm about that's not what i'm about you speak to the exact problem with the legislation. I mean, by limiting the number of patients that are that are out there, you you essentially force patients to make these choices based on economics, not based on good medical care or what might be in the best interest of the patient. And you know, hopefully the legislatures listen to that and listen, you know, to that exact thing that patients don't they don't need to make that choice. They shouldn't have to make that choice. Right. I, I feel like the system they've set up right now with somehow limiting the number of cards a patient can get is just, it's just setting up opportunities for people to just get people cards because patients think that's what they need is just a card. Right. Well, I see plenty legal, of people though. who come who I've given cards to or letters who I have educated and at least they expressed to me, wow, that blows my mind. I didn't know anything about cannabis that way. And they seem open to trying different methods because smoking cannabis, you have a semi-immediate effect and it lasts two to three hours. So now you're smoking cannabis all day if you're trying to get around the clock pain relief. So all that smoke and tar and hydrocarbons in your lungs there's better ways to do it to have better effects and not waste money, basically. I mean, cannabis is expensive. So I feel like people should buy the products that are best for them. Now, if best for them is that they just want 28% THC flour and 80% vape pens, you know, and, and are, you know, doing whatever with that, that's up to them. That's fine. But that's that's not my that's not my core patient. That's not my objective. My objective is to help people to have better health and wellness. Well, this has been a great discussion. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, anything else, anything else you have to say, Corey, or, or how can people get a hold of you or, or, or website? Yeah, I have a website. Everything's on the website. That's the best way to 
uh, reach out to us. So coreyandonmd.com. Uh, lots of information. Um, of course, we do have office, office phone number 801-732-5914. Um, and we're, we're here to help. That's great. Tim, you opened up your, you're in Kaysville now. You have a, you have a new office there too. I wanted to touch on just a little bit here before yeah, we wrap so we, up. Yeah, so we have a couple of uh, clinic spaces in Kaysville, 140 North, um, Kaysville, there on Main Street. It's inside Wellness Underground. Um, it's an, it's a nice little shop and there's nobody there, you know, kind of in this bountiful Kaysville area. Uh, right now. So we've, we've opened up, there's appointments. Uh, we started taking appointments as of Monday. Yeah. As of cool. next Monday, I'm going to be there uh, myself, you know, trying to get the kinks out of things, but you can definitely get a hold of us uh, through utahmarijuana.org. Uh, and that's a place where you can find out more information about that Kaysville location. And of course, get a hold of us in Salt Lake as well. Uh, through yeah, utahmarijuana.org. My my number, in fact, there's no new number for Kaysville. My my number is eight zero one eight five one five 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 four, and uh, we're always there. Very cool. How about you, Chris? Uh, well, IamSaltLake.com is uh, my other podcast I do with my wife. I am Salt Lake podcast. Go give that one a listen. But I wanted to tell you, I got stickers made. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, they're they're not in. They're I'll have them next week. So I'll show you. I'll show you. So I just wanted to tell the listeners that too, because I know we were talking about it, I think on the last episode. So, Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we're, uh, we have, <laughs> yes, we got some podcast stickers coming and masks. We've got a little mask thing uh, being done right now, and there'll be more to come about that on our social media, but we're going to donate the money from masks. They're uh, kind of a subtle cannabis design. And so they're not, they're not like a big green leaf on your face. They're just this kind of nice uh, quilt type pattern, multicolored, and they have a little leaf, uh, leaf design on them. So we're going to sell them for, I think, $12 or so. And we're going to donate all the money to some, uh, some cancer treatments and some cancer research. Uh, it's close to me. It's my family. Um, I've got a, a close family member with that's uh, fighting some colon cancer, some recurrent colon cancer. Very cool. I want to get one. Very nice. Yeah. Very good. And how will we find out about the mask at utahmarijuana.org? Yeah. So if you follow us on social media, Utah underscore marijuana underscore org or me, Tim Pickett on Instagram or Facebook and I'll, and I'll shoot it over to you at I am Salt Lake as well. Cool. So we can get some info out. Very cool. In fact, I'll put it up on, uh, I'll talk to, uh, uh, Dr. Anden, we can put it up on, don't you have Utah? It's like Utah cannabis on your social media. Uh, Marley does that. So yeah, Marley. So I'll send yeah. it to her too and we'll right. get it out okay. on your guys's. Sounds good. Well, let's let Corey get going here. Thank you so much, Corey, for doing the podcast. Well, thank wanna, you. Thank you for inviting me. You, yeah. I want to bring you back through. I'm sure you got a wealth full of more oh, knowledge yeah. that we let's can talk about. Let's talk about some more things. We just touched on the surface. And, and it'll be interesting when I start the uh, medical cannabis master's program. I'll yeah. you know be learning more. Um, and also uh, pharmacist Mindy Madio, who's going to be the yes. pharmacist at the Wholesome uh, Apothecary. I think what they're calling. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, Wholesome Pharmacy and Bountiful. Wholesome Pharmacy and Bountiful. Yeah, she's in the program too. So we're going to be classmates. 
She was actually a couple episodes ago. So go listen to that episode if you, if you yeah. haven't listened to Mindy's story. So yeah. Anyway, that's yeah, it. Well, take I guess. care, everybody. Yeah, you guys have a great week. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and whatever player you're listening to this in. And uh, have a good night.